This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live, your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Tuesday, July 14th, wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with the guy who landscaped his own backyard, all while listening to country music, Jerem Jordan. Well, I did that, but not with the country music part, although I am getting into Zach Brown brown band more oh man that's good stuff anyway jeff grimes the offense coordinator at uh the brigham young university posted a uh tweet about uh his backyard you know sitting on my back porch listening to the boys fall by kenny chesney da, da, da. i was distracted because i looked at this picture i was like dude he has a nice that's backyard an unbelievable bro. backyard he has a nice backyard bro look at that that's awesome yeah. is he the one with the pool the guys are always jumping in the pool is he the, i assume he's the one with the pool i assume the pool is to the right Maybe, maybe the left. We need a panorama version of this picture. Straight ahead and a little to the left, we're told. Sources close to BYU Sports Nation confirm the pool is in there <laughs> in the back left. So that that's awesome. Yeah, uh, Jeff Grimes has an excellent view, man. It's it's a beautiful time to live in Utah. The mountains look amazing. Jeff Grimes enjoying this time. He's gone on a bunch of hikes. Uh, he's come on the show and he he tweets about what. Man, man days, what yeah. is it? Encouraging people to get outdoors. He has man days with his sons. With his sons, they yeah. work on these projects. Yep, yep, and I know he has daughters that he loves. Spend time with as well. So. But I think he's That's great. Right. We need to party in his backyard. That's kind of what I'm getting at. The here. sentiment in that tweet is he's, he's loving the backyard, loving being outdoors, but he needs some football in his life. He's, he's, he's aware, not the only one, He's aware bro. of the health crisis, but he needs football in his life. Not the only one. It sounds like the makings of a great country song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Let's get Garth Brooks on that. Is Garth what, Brooks still a thing? What was Garth Brooks' other name he went by? I have no what, what, idea. Somebody. What was it he again? He had another name? He went by another name for a while. No, <laughs> nobody knows. How do, I, how do I not know about this? Oh, uh, well, you looked that up. Uh, Chris Gaines. Chris Gaines. Yeah. A one-off okay. fictional rock persona for Garth Brooks. This happened. You know more about country music than I thought you knew. So maybe you are doing things Chris in the backyard well, he was, listening to country anyway. music. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Chris Gaines thinks today's show lineup is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris Gaines is emo, bro. It includes why dropping the annual football showdown with Utah is bigger than just losing the rivalry factor. Plus, the best to ever wear number 50 features a couple of all-timers at BYU, a three-time Super Bowl champion in Bart Oates and national champion for the Cougars, Trevor Maddich, first-round NFL draft pick. We'll talk with both of them. Plus, our Top 5 Tuesday highlights the top five games against Big Ten competition in BYU football history. Big Ten doesn't want the heat. Here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. BYU Football Media Day, originally set for Monday, July 20th, has been postponed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we're going to explain why this makes uh, sense coming up in what's trending. But this was something that we planned on in six days. Obviously, a big day here at BYU TV, showcasing, doing various shows. To me, this is a good move. We'll explain coming up why and what's trending. How about some Madden football ratings love for Taysom Hill, the NFL Swiss Army Knife rated one of the top three fastest quarterbacks in the uber-popular video game franchise. Hill comes in with the third quickest speed rating, Woo! 90 out of a possible 99 in Madden 21. 
The reigning NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, tops the list, followed by former Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray, then one Taysom Hill. That is wild that Taysom is on this list. Think about it. He's one less in rating than Kyler Murray in speed and Madden. Think about where Taysom has come from to now, not only with injuries, but other items in that conversation, right? It's crazy. What an amazing story. How about that, I mean, man? It gets better by the year. It's incredible. The Cougar Club names Greg Vihar as its new director, taking over from Mike Middleton, who's gone to a, a different department on campus. He's been the assistant director over the past 20 years. He will oversee and manage services, ticketing, and events for over 5,000 Cougar Club members. That's a big job because they help in uh, the process of raising funds for BYU and making the alumni experience good. So Greg Vihar, the new guy. Kirsten Fotu and Naomi Suifua of BYU Women's Golf competing in the Utah Women's State Amateur. Suifua finished day one at four over par. That's good enough to be tied for seventh. Fotu currently tied for 23rd at 10 over par after the first day. 61 athletes competing in the opening two rounds of stroke play. The top 16 advance to Wednesday and Thursday's match play round. Good luck to Kirsten and Naomi as they push forward. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's what's trending on BYU Sports Nation. BYU football has a growing and urgent priority list, especially for Athletic Director Tom Homo. Multiple Power 5 conferences going to a conference-only schedule, leaving BYU with five canceled games and counting. Season's first game now scheduled for Utah State on October 2nd. What? There will be nothing about September to remember, Jerem, if Mm -hmm. BYU doesn't have a game in September. You referenced on Twitter yesterday the NCAA uh, allows teams to practice and hold organized team activities six weeks out from game number one. Um, Game number one is October 2nd, so they can open in mid-August. This is a problem. August 24th would be about the day. Jerem, BYU needs a week one opponent like yesterday. So should that team be an FCS opponent just to put somebody in place for week number one? Now, we learned this morning that uh, Utah State does have a canceled game in week one. So would it make sense to move Utah State into week one? I think that could be an option. I think that should be a conversation that should be had. If Utah State can't, there's other options like Alabama. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But there are other options of canceled games that could happen. I still believe that we probably won't play, but we should continue to try and we'll hack away at those angles on this show because we do it for an hour every day. Let's fill that space, right? Let's go. Uh, BYU is down to seven games on the schedule. If, if you get an FCS team, great. I just think an FCS team is the easiest option. Maybe Utah State is. But as you explained... BYU cannot practice this upcoming Monday like they thought they would on the first day of the extended six-week fall camp because they don't have a game. They cannot. In fact, right now, they're not going to show up and be there because they cannot. They can do, if they want, I guess, voluntary workouts still or whatnot. But BYU is in a situation right now. They cannot practice officially until around August 24th right now because the first game is October 2nd. BYU has to get a week one opponent yesterday so they can be practicing yet i still come from the stance that i'm hoping we play but i just i'm not sure that we are going to hey you got to prepare to play in hopes that something could happen all types of contingencies are in place the idea of utah state in week number one is fun it's kind of the next best thing to playing utah it's still that rivalry game factor it would be a home game for byu 
But I don't know what the Mountain West Conference is going to do. The Mountain West Conference could come in and say, conference only, so no non-conference games for uh, our teams. And then BYU soar out of luck there. They lose Utah State. They lose San Diego State and Boise State, if that's the matter. I hope that the Broncos carry a loud voice in this conversation, and they should because they're the best team in the Mountain West, and that they want to play BYU, and that there's some type of plus-one exception if it comes to that. But speaking with Brett McMurphy yesterday, he said that most Conference commissioners are preparing to play a conference-only schedule, and then we'll see what happens with a team like BYU after that. If there's an exception, yes, give me Utah State. That makes a ton of sense. Or a UNLV who had a scheduled game against Arizona State in week number one go away. Any of those close Mountain West teams, if there's an exception, have BYU play one of those teams. If not... Maybe it is wise to just go out and find an FCS team and be like, hey, let's just go ahead and get this first game on the schedule so that we guarantee, so that, you can practice. We guarantee that we can start practice. If BYU waits for the Mountain West Conference in Utah State, then there's still a chance that they'd have to maneuver practices again if that game goes away. Let's say BYU doesn't schedule this game for two weeks. They're gonna be, they will have had a week less of preparation than everybody else. BYU is in a predicament. All the teams are in a predicament as to how we're going to actually make this happen. Wait, is Alabama in a predicament right now if they don't have an opening game against USC? Everyone's in a predicament that doesn't have a week one. So Utah is in the same situation where they're going to be at least a week late. I don't know who they have in week week two and three. They had non-conference. I think Wyoming was one of those and somebody else. So they can't start for a couple weeks as well. So there are teams that have week one conference games that exist, but it's not as many and it's not everybody. A few dominoes have fallen. Several more are going yeah. to fall. I'm interested uh, to see if Group of Fives will go conference only. Because Power Fives have more money, therefore more testing can be had, right? Group of Fives may say, uh, let's standardize the test in our conference, and it's going to be on Wednesdays, and we're going to get it back Friday, and then you know if the person can play the next day, even though they could get it, contract the virus after that. But I, I don't know how it's going to work. Group of Fives, I don't think you're going to function maybe in the same way because they have less money. It's kind of yeah. different. Jeremy, I would love to ask all of these questions on BYU Football Media Day, but it's not happening because it's been canceled. And frankly, how can they have answers at this point? Right. No, no, no. I I think it's good that they push it back, push it back, get some answers, figure it out. Um, I I think BYU can spend that time actually working on this. I think it makes sense not to have a media day. ACC, SEC, they push theirs back. I think it makes sense for BYU not to have one. In fact, in one of our meetings yesterday, I brought it up and I said, wait, should BYU be doing this? They don't have all the answers quite yet. They're, I know they're working on it. They've been having conversations. And when they do, uh, they could have some kind of preview for sure. the season. Yes. And virtually, that's a lot easier than in person. There's no reason to rush into a scenario where you have no answers right now. Right. And maybe they have some. They just want a few more. They're figuring all that out right now. Our question of the day, speaking of answers, should BYU schedule an FCS team right now for week one? Why or why not? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At jgibbs 19 answers on Twitter, I would schedule anyone for week one. That would allow the team to start practice in July and to start playing some actual football as soon as possible. Yeah, do you want to wait for maybe Utah State or do you try and get a Weber State, Southern Utah, Dixie, or other FCS? That's the question. I would, I would say sooner than later so you can start practicing. And if you can lock in Utah State, but there are so many different decisions that have to happen before that can be. It's like an interest rate on a house. Do you want to lock it in right now, or could it maybe be better later? I don't know. Coming up, ESPN's Trevor Manich on if we'll have college football. And if he's the best to wear number 50, it's loaded. Hey, Bart Oates wore number 50. The three-time Super Bowl champion will join us next. 
What does he think about that combo? This is BYU Sports Nation. That was awesome, man. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. The greatest BYU football plays in the words of the greatest BYU football players. Join us Friday, July 17th on BYU Sports Nation for BYU football great moments as told by players at noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. I am Spencer Linton. That is Jerem Jordan. It is now our pleasure An exciting opportunity to welcome in a member of the BYU Hall of Fame, a three-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Pro Bowler, and president of the NFL Alumni Association, Bart Oates, on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Bart, welcome to BYU Sports Nation, making your show debut. Hey, thank you very much. I am honored. I mean, uh, this is one of those things, you know, it's one of those bucket list items, so I can check that one off. (laughs) You mean for us? (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's my bucket list yeah hey Bart, are you going for merlin olsen for a phone call are you going for merlin olsen little house on the prairie look i like it yeah no this is my covid look uh i just <laughs> figured we're not uh we're here we, we're isolated been quarantined so i said uh my wife's not real happy about it but um as soon as the uh quarantine is over with the uh, the beard goes okay well clearly you have uh, a face and a voice for tv and with that in mind uh, we did some research and, and found out that you were a wedding guest in a 1992 episode of Guiding Light. What do you remember about that? Uh, nothing, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Really? You sure? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a thing? It didn't yeah, happen? Tell me about that. That's news to me. Usually it's a, I, get, I get hit up about the, uh, uh, the Hunger Teen uh, episode, but um, no, that I don't know about. Our, our research team, we're gonna have to check with them. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk okay. to them about that. Okay, obviously, we just needed you on the show. You're one of the BYU legends, but number 50 is a number that is hotly contested uh, between mm. you and Trevor Maddich and even Greg Kite. We're gonna have Trevor Greg on as Kite. well. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, crazy number 50. So, I guess make the case for who you think is the best number 50 in BYU history among those three. Well, I'll put myself at number three. Uh, I think Trevor had a much better uh, collegiate career than I did. He was on the national championship team. He was All-American. He was a first-round draft pick. I didn't even get drafted in the NFL. I went to the USFL. Um, So mine was a bit uh, circuitous uh, as it was. And then Greg Kite was just a stud on the basketball court. So, um, you know, I'll say it's me. It's between Trevor and uh, Greg. Uh, like both of them, they're both good friends, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to give them both a a one and one A. So you said that Trevor had a much more uh, prestigious collegiate career than you, Bart. But then you yeah. go on to the pro scenario where you're a three time Super Bowl champion and five time Pro Bowler. So can we make you number one once you guys got to the pros? Is that fair? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm hey, I'm honored to just be in in the uh, be considered with uh, Greg and with uh, Trevor. So I'm happy about it. Let's talk about the difference of what linemen do nowadays versus back then. Because you are listed at six four two forty two. I saw another spot six four two sixty five. It was a different era, right? In terms of the size that you were as a lineman. Say nowadays you'd have you'd have to be pushing two ninety three ten, right? Oh, it was, you know, it was amazing. So I was, I came in, uh, Roger French 
um, whom many former linemen from BYU just revere, um, was this very iconic figure um, as offensive line coach. He was this prototypical line coach and just kind of a mad scientist type guy. And that's what most off, really good offensive linemen coaches are. are. Um, you know, he could take a guy and, and just work with him. And, you know, he was a guy that took me. I came in at, um, I think when I first came to BYU, my freshman year, I was right around 30, 35. I went on a mission, came back about 42. And I left BYU about 65. Um, and yet, you know, it was, um, he, we were, right, we passed the ball, passed it a lot with uh, Jim McMahon's young when I was there. And um, so all we had to do, just pass block. And, and so you didn't need a huge, huge guy, just guys that were good techniques and could work together. And, and, and he was able to, he was a master at being able to take that and taking guys and do that. Bart, you hail from Albany, Georgia, and as you mentioned, uh, played with Steve Young and Jim McMahon and played on some iconic teams coached by Lavelle Edwards. How would you differentiate between those two great quarterbacks at BYU? How, how were they maybe similar, and, and how were they different? Uh, I can tell you they were different. I'm not sure. They were <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you know, no, no, no. They, they were, you know, they were both great quarterbacks, but very different. Um, different mentality, different, you know, I mean, Jim was this, this guy that had this just unbelievable, he exuded this confidence that you're like, you know, when you got on the field with Jim McMahon, you just like, he took over, he was this guy. And then Steve Young was this guy that he didn't, he wanted, he didn't want to disappoint anybody. And he just, he wanted to win because others, you know, people would be disappointed. And, and that's why the first start, he went to Georgia and threw six interceptions. But anyway, that's, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, they were great uh, off the field, very different, um, you know, and, and had just a different way of, of going about it. Uh, but as far as football players, I mean, got to be the two best football players that probably, you know, in my, at least in my era anyway, obviously, that, that went through BYU. Give us some insight into kind of uh, what happened during your career because 77 is this amazing season, but Giff is going to be a Heisman finalist. He gets hurt. Mark takes over and is unbelievable, right? Speaking of like six interceptions, you know, the second game after the seven touchdown game. But then you go on a mission, you come back. 80 is an amazing season. 81 was fantastic. 82, Steve's figuring it out. So that in 83, once you go to the USFL, he really turns it on. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But – that, that was an interesting – so you end up snapping the ball to some of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history, a bunch of college football Hall of Famers. I mean, that was an unbelievable era. Hey, listen, the the program was just – had it under Lavelle and his tutelage and his leadership was able to take this really nondescript and a program that should never have any national prominence into this – you know, to a national championship, a national prominence. And – uh and has been able to enjoy those, you know, quite frankly, enjoying it even today because of those what happened 35, 40 years ago. Understandably, we have been reliving uh, many of the iconic moments within BYU football uh, just because, you know, it's something that we like to do in the summer. And given the world circumstances, we like. Yeah, to I don't, I don't to know this. if you heard about COVID, uh, but we're we do a daily show, so. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're digging deep into this uh, history of BYU yeah. football, um, and we love to get the perspective on those iconic moments from the players that lived it. So let's go to the 1980 Holiday Bowl against SMU. 
uh, Jim and BYU, I mean, miraculously, even, or even in position to be close in this game, what do you remember about the Hail Mary uh, from that game? I mean, there's just so many moments, right? It's, it's, um, it was like men against boys. I mean, SMU, people didn't know at the time, but that was, that was by far the best. That was the best team that money could buy. Um, you right. know, as it turned out and the money's, I mean, they were getting more than a lot of NFL guys were getting to, to, you know, I was at the wheeling. They were, you know, running and gunning. And I mean, there was, there's all kinds of stuff going on down in Texas with, um, guys just, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and suitcases of money. It was, it was crazy. Uh, I played with a couple of the guys. They had nine guys off that defense that went on to become starters in the NFL Wow, on the Ooh. defensive teams. Um, you know, it was just a phenomenal, you know, right. Dickerson and, and Craig James. I mean, it's just, you go on and on and on. And, uh, that offensive line was just, they were studs. I remember we, we were warming up, looking out at him going, Oh my gosh. You know, we, we thought we were pretty good. And then we got there we just saw the physicality, just the physical nature of those guys those were men. I mean, we were like, we were high school kids compared to them. So for us to even to be in a situation, and you know, they had, they, they were beating us so bad. They wound up taking the second teamers out and putting third teamers in guys that probably never even played all season. And then when we started to get some rhythm going and five returns to touch, you know, punt for a touchdown, we, you know, we start making some stops and we make a few plays and, you know, once we got the momentum, it was, it was we had that position where, you know, although unlikely, you know, three seconds left and 50 yards to go, um, you know, they didn't put their starters back in who had been sitting out for almost a half and were completely, you know, I mean, these guys had to put their uniforms back on. <laughs> and uh, it was just, you know, and we were, you know, at, in the moment, you just don't realize it, what, what it all means or what it's going to mean, but... Um, you know, it just was was very unlikely, and um, I mean, I'm I'm going against Michael Carter. Michael Carter winds up becoming a he he still holds the 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 national high school record for shot put at 82 feet. He's and I don't think anybody's come within like five feet of his record. He's it's the longest standing high school track record that there is, and he was a silver medalist in the Olympics. He was a first round draft pick for the. Uh, 49ers and was a you know was just a stud of a defensive uh, t- nose tackle. He's a guy I was playing against. And he, he's beat me like a redheaded stepchild. Uh, it's just I, it was so bad. And um, I mean, I I blocked him just enough, and he got around me. He was going to crush Jim. Jim just heaves it up into the end zone. You know, it goes through their arms into Clay Brown, and um, you know we kicked the extra point. And we win by a point. It's kind of unlikely. So once Clay catches that ball, are you then focused on, hey, I got to go snap this to win the game? Are you? Are no, you... I wasn't snapping. No. Oh, you weren't no, snapping. Okay. No, 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 no. We had, you know, in college, you have enough guys where you have a specialty like they do in the NFL sure. just for that. I, I did in the NFL, but I didn't. I didn't have to snap in college. No. So, so, you so could, no. As soon as that happened, I said, "All right." I, I said, "My job." I had to go pick up Jim because uh, my guy just pasted Jim after he threw the ball. <laughs> I had to go scrape him off the field and kind of help him. You know, he was kind of straighten his helmet was sideways, and uh, he, he took quite a few hits in that game. Bart Oates with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, we'll finish with this. One of your other former teammates has a prominent role in BYU athletics, as in he is the athletic director, Tom Holmo. Uh, what yep. was Tom like as a teammate in that golden era? 
you know, he's a defensive back. I don't get involved with defensive back. I, don't, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you their names. Listen, I was an offensive lineman. If I, you know, if it didn't really, you know, I had these blinders on is like this. Now, after the fact, I got to know, I got to know Tom really well. He was, when I was in, went to San Francisco and playing with Steve, um, we won the Super Bowl in 94. Uh, Tom was actually a defensive backs coach. And uh, we had a couple of other guys that were BYU guys. And so we had a, a pretty good collection there of, uh, of BYU guys at San Francisco. So I got to know Tom, and Tom's a, a really good friend. He's done a great job uh, as the athletic director at BYU, really leading all the you know entire athletic department into – creating such, you know, opportunities and uh, keeping us at that national prominence, which is, um, uh, it's hard to do in today's era, particularly given the, you know, with the, the power conferences and, and, you know, the money's involved. And uh, I just think it's just what BYU has done is just phenomenal. All right. We're going to send our crack research team to uh, double check on all of your TV appearances, but we know for sure we can add you now to BYU Sports Nation. All right. Thank you. Like I said, I checked, I checked off my bucket list today. One of the bucket list items. <laughs> Bart, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bart. Thanks guys. Hey, and you know what? I'm proud to be in third place. Uh, Trevor and, and, um, and Greg Kite, those uh, two awesome dudes. An extremely humble approach. Thanks for the time, my friend. Thanks guys. Bart Oates on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's one of the best players in BYU history. Like at any position, right, in football. And we've never had him on, and I'm so happy that today we were able to have Bart Oates on. That was yes. great. And I, I have a million questions. we got to have him on again. I, I have so many questions. That was great. And I also forgot that a long snapper existed, apparently. Coming up, Trevor Matichon, if he was a better number 50 than Bart Oates and Greg Kite. And a very special Top 5 Tuesday Big Ten edition because, you know, the Big Ten Conference Cause, went conference cause, only. Because, you know, we're not playing any Big Ten. This is BYU Sports Nation. Because they're not going to play BYU. On the latest BYU Sports Nation right now, why BYU football in the 40s is sadly like the 2020 season. Spoiler alert, BYU didn't play Utah. kind of like this year. Check it out on the BYU Sports Nation social media. Welcome back to the show. We have a special presentation of our Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta Keep climbing. Following the Big Ten's recent conference-only scheduling announcement, you may have heard BYU drops two Big Ten opponents on this year's schedule, a home opener with Michigan State and a Week 4 road contest at Minnesota. There will be no rowing of the boat. It stinks. No way around it. But, Jeremy, I think the Big Ten just didn't want the heat BYU was going to bring this year, man. Oh. They don't want the heat. Because the Cougars have produced some epic results against the Big Ten Conference. Thus, we present the top five Big Ten football games in BYU football history. They happen to be all the wins. Let's go. Number five, 1991 Holiday Bowl versus Iowa. It ended in a tie, but guess what? BYU was unranked. Ty Demmer's final game as a Cougar. Iowa is ranked seventh. BYU's down 13-0. Iowa misses a PAT. That proves costly. Ty Demmer ties the game with 419 to go. Iowa missed a uh, would-be game-winning field goal. BYU gets the ball back. Detmer drives BYU down to the 18-yard line. And with 16 seconds left, unfortunately, the last play of Ty Detmer's career as a Cougar is a tipped pass that ends up being an interception, and BYU ties. Kick the field goal! Ties stink. That ended up being the second tie that BYU had that year, by the way. Uh, the, ni- the 91 San Diego State epic, right? But uh, in that very stadium. So yeah. two ties on in the, the same stadium. On the same field. Jack Murphy Stadium? There you go. Wild. Uh, the last two games that BYU played, no less. 
at number four. Michigan State, Sparty in 2016. It turned out to be a blowout in East Lansing against a team that went to the college football playoff the previous season. 31-14 BYU victory led by Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. Jay Swag Daddy with 165 yards, two scores on the day. Taysom Hill sealing the deal, scoring late. BYU outrushed Sparty 260-85 in East Lansing. Number three, 2015 at Nebraska. This game's known for the Hail Mary, but first, Taysom Hill accounted for 351 total yards, three touchdowns, suffering a Liz Frank injury in the second quarter, played on it in the third. On the final play of the game, Tanner Mangum finds Mitch Matthews from 42 yards out to win the game, snapping a 29-game home season-opening win streak. Here is the play. Shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. Plenty of time, plenty of time. Mixing 06 with 2015. Mitch Matthews with the incredible catch of the goal line, and BYU takes down Nebraska. Number two, 2018 at Wisconsin. Jump around. The Cougars walk into Camp Randall a year after being blown out by the Badgers in Provo and get some revenge. Squally Canada and his teammates outrushed the future second-round pick, Jonathan Taylor, Aleve Hifo, just saw that trick play. Connecting with Moroni Laulupututau and BYU takes advantage of a late missed field goal. Yes, indeed, the Cougars jump around on the sidelines at Camp Randall. And they end a 40-plus game non-conference home win streak for the Badgers. It was 41, and Wisconsin ranked sixth. That was a big win, man. And the best win against the Big Ten ever. 1984 versus Michigan in the Holiday Bowl at 12-0 and number one. A win is the only chance BYU has at a national championship. Down seven to a 6-5 Michigan team. BYU comes back in the fourth quarter and injured Robbie Bosco pulls off an iconic comeback in Cougar history. Two fourth quarter touchdowns. BYU beats Michigan 24-17 and wins the natty. Robbie Bosco to Kelly Smith was the game-winning score. And the Cougars find out later they win the national championship. What a win. And those are the top five wins against Big Ten teams. Bo Schembechler. And Michigan go down. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh had broken his arm. They, Michigan was ranked as high as third earlier in the season. Jim Harbaugh's in a you know sling across the way yeah. there. Those are the top five games against the Big Ten in BYU football history. Okay, coming up, we decide who the best was to wear number 50. But first, we got to hear from the other candidate, right? So we're going to talk to Trevor Maddish next. This is BYU Sports Nation. Greg Kite's like, hey, what about me? Are we going to have college football? BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to BYU Sports Nation On Demand. You can download the podcast, Google BYU Sports Nation Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us that five-star review. We're hanging out, doing it live in Studio B. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. It is now time we welcome in Another player who is in the conversation for the greatest to ever wear number 50 at BYU. It is ESPN college football insider and analyst and friend of the program, Trevor Maddich. Trevor, great to see your face. Oh, Trevor? Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Spencer, Jeremy, it's great to see you guys as well. Normally, I just imagine what you look like, and it is such an interesting thing to see you. <laughs> It is interesting, my friend, for sure. Yes, it is. Hey, we talked to uh, Bart Oates uh, just a few minutes ago, and he was very quick to point out that he thought you had a clearly better collegiate career at BYU than he did at center uh, and uh, put you at the top of the list. What do you think about him thinking uh, you are the best to wear number 50 at BYU? 
I think he's got at least as good, if not better, an argument to wear number 50. I mean, my team was the national championship team, but that's a whole team. Center's one guy. And Bart was one of those guys that lifted the team into position nationally in terms of prominence that we were on the national radar when we began the national championship season. Also, Bart went on to the NFL, and he went to multiple Pro Bowls, Super Bowl champion. I mean, Bart Oates had an overall career that is one of the greatest in the history of any athlete of BYU in any sport. If you're talking just about college, you know, I think Bart still was a phenomenal football player, and truthfully, he was one of the two guys that I thought most of as I tried to emulate somebody as I became the starter. One was Bart, and one was Scott Nielsen, who was the starter before Bart, who also wore number 50. There was this run of just awesome centers. And then there's Greg Kite, by the way, who's playing uh, when you're at BYU on the basketball team. He ends up having a long NBA career. What is it with 50? 50 is like arguably one of the greatest numbers in BYU history. That's right. And the thing is, it should be really retired at this point. The, uh, <laughs> Scott Nielsen, given as a freshman, Scott Nielsen was a 220-pound center. And he was the guy that, Elevate, helped elevate the team into the national rankings at 220. Then Bart took over. Then I took over. And because Bart and Scott were number 50, I switched my number when I became the starter to number 50. And then when I left, the guy that took over for me wore number 52 or 54. I think he stopped wearing 50. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? And then BYU took a little bit of a dip in football. And I don't <laughs> think that's a course. <laughs> you just have to have the guy wear 50. Come on, continue the tradition. That's, that's simple. You know, faith without works is dead. And I have faith that the work of wearing number 50 at center helps. Trevor Maddich, former number 50 with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Trevor, this is some needed levity amidst uh, really a depressing time for college football fans as we look at the state of college athletics as a whole kind of starting to crumble around us. And uh, we're wondering if college football is going to happen at all and are, are wondering if you have a potential plan or an idea that maybe uh, this season could happen. How does college football happen amidst COVID-19? You know, right now it's unknown if there will be one at all. My sense is that there will be a really weird patchwork season that will look nothing like we've ever even imagined, much less seen. But I think to have one in the fall, especially, I think three things need to happen, or, or at least one of three things. One is to limit the spread of the virus among players. I think that would be really hard, but if mask companies can come up with a mask that you can compete in athletically that also have some degree of of protection, then some companies are claiming that they're coming up with this. We'll see. Every mask I've ever worn has been hot and miserable, and I could not play football in it. But if something like that happens and it works, you have a chance. Another thing is that if you can isolate the players enough, like the NBA is doing with their bubble at Disney World and things like that, if, if you can isolate the players enough, that it doesn't get into their ecosystem to start with, then you can have more games. The other is less likely. It's that medical science will come through with a breakthrough sometime in the next few weeks. And I don't think that's going to happen in time to save the season. So I think really what's got to happen is the people that make the choices need to decide what their trigger is for quarantining players or canceling games. Is their trigger a positive test? If it is, then once it starts, you're going to see entire teams have to pull out of the season or at least pull out of, you know, weeks and weeks of the season. If they think that this virus is not really a threat to the vast majority of of young, healthy people, then they might say that if you test positive, okay, most people that test positive in that age group 
don't even know they have it. And even though I've read plenty of reports that some individuals have serious repercussions, long-term repercussions when they are young and have coronavirus. So it's not a done deal that it's not a threat. But I think a lot of people would think that it's not. And I would think that they would need to allow players and their parents to opt in. And if the players opt in, then they may be able to say, look, this isn't really a threat to them. They've decided to play. They are the ones who are in charge of their, themselves, and we are respecting that. And that may be a way that they can get around it. I think a lot of people would be upset about that concept. But I keep coming back to this. If I were able to talk to myself in high school, my senior year, or at BYU my senior year, knowing what I know now at my age and my experience and what I've been able to gather so far from this pandemic, and I'm not a doctor, but what I've been able to gather, I would tell my young self to play to play. That's what I would tell my young self. And so I keep coming back to this. Who should have that ultimate power and decision? Should the player and their parents have that power to make the decision or should somebody else impose the decision upon them? And that's really the biggest question that each school has to make in terms of determining whether or not there will be a college football season. It would seem historically, especially with like not paying the players and whatnot and kind of dictating that the administration has always been in the position of power to dictate that, right, Trevor? So it feels like it would be somewhat shocking to me if the players were able to make that decision themselves. I think that, and we talked to Brett McMurphy yesterday about this, he said, listen, uh, you know, school presidents are not risk takers, right? So I, I would be surprised. I like the idea of what you're saying. I, I would just be surprised if the players were able to make that call themselves. You know, that's a good point, and I think most people agree with you. Matter of fact, I was having a conversation with ESPN college football analyst Rod, Rod Gilmore, who is a Stanford lawyer in addition to being a, a former player and now one of the best analysts in the business. And, and he said that the waivers that the players would sign don't really have much force of law behind them because of the power differential that you just mentioned. At the same time, I keep coming back to who should make that decision. And I think that the liability that you kind of bring up, college presidents aren't risk takers. I think liability is a big thing too. I mean, I do believe based on my extensive experience in talking with college football coaches and athletic directors, et cetera, they really do care about their players. They really do take seriously their responsibility of treating those players as if they were their own sons, which is what they promised the recruits parents in the recruiting process. They're serious about that. At the same time, let me just my personal experience and I can only speak for me. I can't give anybody any advice, but I was one of those late bloomers in high school. I wasn't on the radar of any recruiters coming into my senior year because growing up, I was one of the smallest, least athletic kids in my school. I never earned a starting position at any school sport until my senior year in high school. And that year I made all, all city, all Northern California. I was all conference scholarship interest from 60 schools, right? But had that season been canceled, I would never have played college football. Then I get into BYU, and I came back from my mission in October at 204 pounds mm. and jumped right onto the, the scout squad as a center. 204 pounds, scout team center in October, fresh off the plane from my mission in Mexico. So from that October to the following September, I had bulked up to a whopping 238 pounds, and I started my junior year at 238 pounds. I never would have been drafted at 238 as an offensive lineman. It just wouldn't have happened. 
So the next year I bulked way up to 262 and I became a first round draft choice. But had that next year not happened, I wouldn't have probably been in the NFL. The door would not have been open to me. And so I would have said to myself, look, knowing what we know now, what we think we know now about the dangers of the coronavirus for someone like me, no comorbidities, didn't have diabetes as a you know 20 year old, things like that. I would have said, take the risk because of the potential rewards. For other people, like you look at Trevor Lawrence as a hypothetical example. He's the quarterback at Clemson. Widely thought of as being a candidate to be the first pick in the draft whenever he comes out, which will probably be at the end of this year. If I were advising him, I would say consider not playing at all. Not just because there is that small chance that it could affect him more severely than most in his age group, but because what if it affects his offensive line? Now he's got to go play. What if it affects his receivers and he's got to hold the ball longer? What, what happens then? Somebody like that, I would say, uh, the risk-reward might not be the same as it would have been for me. And when you take it away from just NFL prospects, there are guys that just want to play, and this might be their last opportunity. And again, I keep coming back to safety has to be first. Safety has to be first. But who am I to tell someone what their definition of safety needs to be? Mm. And I keep coming back to that as a conundrum that I haven't been able to solve in my own mind yet. Thought-provoking stuff from ESPN College Football Insider Trevor Maddich, BYU National Champion, one of the best to ever wear number 50 in Provo, Utah. Trevor, BYU is uh, dealing with a very, very significant disruption to their schedule between the Big Ten and Pac-12 deciding to go conference only. So long our games with Utah, Arizona State, and Stanford out of the Pac-12, and then Michigan State and Minnesota. So Tom Homo is uh, dealing with uh, some chaos for sure. What do you expect the BYU football schedule to look like in independence uh, if more and more conferences decide to go conference only? I think they'll have to double up with the other independents. I don't know that there's much other choice than that. I mean, this was a golden opportunity for BYU. The, the teams with the greatest advantage coming into this season because of the loss of spring ball, maybe diminished opportunity in the summer as well to practice and develop players, were the ones with continuity of coaching systems and especially quarterback. And BYU has that with Zach Wilson coming back at the quarterback position. Teams like Clemson with Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney coming back have a huge advantage over teams like LSU, who they beat in the, in the national championship game because their quarterback, Joe Burrow, is off to the NFL, and LSU's got a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive brain trust in there that will change a few things. Well, BYU comes into this season with that kind of advantage. And to get Michigan State in the opener in Provo at altitude was a super opportunity for the Cougars. And then they go out to, to Minnesota, a rising team in the Big Ten. And then the, those Pac-12 teams, this was a great opportunity for BYU. They would have had to have played well and won the games, but still, it was teed up for them. So that opportunity now is lost. And then you asked about what the schedule looks like. When I say patchwork season, I think this season is going to be nuts and it's going to take tremendous creativity to get football on the field. For example, if you know the Big Ten was the first Power Five conference to announce that it was going to uh, go conference only. And so my thought was, okay, well, let's say Ohio State and Penn State have – uh, they're not scheduled in a given week, and their team opponent, their opponent, cancels the game on Thursday. So both Ohio State and Penn State don't have a game on Saturday. Now it's Thursday. Well, by having conference only, they could say within the conference, look, one of you guys jump on a bus, drive to the other one, and get a game in. Now that would wreak havoc with game planning, 
and they may need to do things like say that only the regularly scheduled game, originally scheduled game, would count towards conference standings. But in order to get football on the field, you may need to do things like that. BYU may need to do things like that with independents or with schools that are just willing to play them in group of five conferences out west or even uh, FCS schools out west that they could take a bus. If they've got both a cancellation on the same time, jump on a bus, go play a game. And if they end up playing five games against big sky teams, so what, right? They'll need to get something in. That's why I think this season will be a patchwork. It will be crazy. And you may see some teams play one opponent multiple times just to get it on the field. Trevor, it's great to catch up with you. I feel like we could talk for like three more hours about everything within the state of college football. Uh, but we will save that for a later day. And at this time, wish you good health. And uh, I hope we're talking at least some version of football as we approach uh, a very, very interesting season. Thank you. And, I, and my, my number 50 on the football side is I'd say Bart, then Scott Nielsen, who's one of my football heroes when I came in as a 17-year-old freshman. And then I'm somewhere after that. That's what I would say. Oh, man, you and Bart uh, share a lot of similarities. You know that? <laughs> Thanks for the time, Trevor. Thanks, guys. Trevor Maddich on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Everybody's humble today. Yeah, absolutely. Be, though. Coming up, today's Rise and Shoutouts. Uh, and uh, we're going to try and settle the best to everywhere 50 debate. I'm used to settling. With some of your help, this is BYU Sports Nation. This segment of BYU Sports Nation, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. BYU Sports Nation continues with this daily reminder. The show is always available on demand via the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. And if you want the podcast, just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. There is one thing that we still need to settle, and that is the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show, and determining who was the best athlete to rock each number at BYU. Of course, 50 the halfway point is the center of attention today. The and center of attention. Uh-huh. I like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Bart Oates, Trevor Maddich, and Greg Kite were all, I mean, you could argue that Greg Kite was the center. He was the center. I don't know how we distinguish between these three. All three guys were all league, tremendous player, all-American types in college, right? And then all had long careers in, in uh, either the NFL, a the li- little bit of USFL with Bart Oates in the NBA. We ain't giving it to just one. We're giving it to all three. Let's start with Bart Oates. I, we can't distinguish. These guys are awesome. They all want to place each other atop the pedestal. Yeah. Bart Oates, well, we don't know about Greg. Maybe he's selfish. Maybe he's like, it's, it's me. me. I don't know. Uh, I could relate with that. Bart Oates was fantastic. So he would have snapped the ball to Mark Wilson, Gifford Nielsen. Not in that order. Switch him. Jim McMahon and Steve Young. Are you kidding me? Also, good. Bart Oates nowadays, we just st- discovered today, looks like Merlin Olsen from Little House on the Prairie. Had the quick Oates <laughs> photos back when BYU used to do that. So it's awesome. Bart Oates was great. And Wilfred Brimley to uh, do the quick Oates reader. Do you have diabetes? <laughs> three Super Bowl, three-time Super Bowl champ, dude. He worked NFL games on NBC in 96 with Dan Hicks, by the way. Dan Hicks has been on this program. Fun fact. Before the Notre Dame game. Okay, Trevor Maddich. Trevor Maddich, uh, our homie. We talk to him every week during football season, college football season. You know, there's one. He's great. He was the center on the national championship team, first-round pick to the Patriots, 12 years in the NFL. He actually caught a touchdown. It was a game winner. We talked about that with him before. We love Trevor. He wore 50 partly because Bart wore 50. And as he just told us, because of Scott Nielsen, yeah. a center that also mentored both he and Bart and was 
220 pounds. That's amazing. Playing center at BYU in the late 70s. And then last but not least, Greg Kite, 6'11", 250, McDonald's All-American out of high school. Could have gone to Duke or Kentucky or UCLA. Came to BYU. He was a part of some amazing teams, most notably the 1981 team. Uh, I believe he was a sophomore on that team. He ends up uh, being a part of that team that goes to the Elite Eight, the greatest team in BYU history. Two-time NBA champ, 21st pick in the 83 draft. Interim assistant coach at BYU, by the way, with Tony Engel in 97. That was a forgettable year, but he was trying to do his best with that group. Greg Kite, man, he was part of the uh, the golden era of BYU hoops in the 80s. They were all at BYU at the same at the time. S- think about what the early 80s were like. Steve Young, Jim McMahon, Bartos, Greg Kite. They're all Fred Roberts. They're all walking around campus. The golf team's winning the Natty. I mean, listen, you, th- you think it's awesome now? It was awesome back then. Unbelievable! Yeah. The three greatest to ever wear fifty, all multiple years in their professional leagues, champions, all on BYU's campus at the same time. That was the golden era for sure. Crazy man. Our question of the day: Should BYU schedule an FCS team right now for Week One? My, how we have fallen! <laughs> I'm telling you, in, in like. Two months will be like, remember when we thought there was going to be a season? Why or why not? Our lead voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort from Matt Reed Beatsy. I hope, my hope rather, is we get Bama. Really? Play one week, win in an incredible way, and then the season gets canceled. BYU beats Bama. National champs. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Today's rise and shout out. uh, Jared Lesser, BYU pitcher who's now with the Yankees uh, in the Athletes Journal yesterday. I took a few minutes to read that, and it was really good. I recommend that to everybody. He's overcome depression and disease to go from Price, Utah, and uh, get to the Yankees. Outstanding. My rise and shout out goes to the Madden producers who had the courage to put BYU's Taysom Hill with a 90 speed rating. 90, bro. Let's go. So cool. Our thanks to today's guests, Bart Oates and Trevor Maddox, two of the best to ever wear 50. Bart Dennis Pitta ran out of time. For Jeremiah and Spencer, shout out to Dane Craig. We'll see you on BYU Sports Nation tomorrow at noon Eastern. Go Cougs. Hey, I'm Jeff, and I've been